you're laying it on <laughs> so thick for someone who has a girlfriend. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Hello, hello, hello. The time has finally come for Y2 Christmas. Wow. The snow is falling. There are um, Claire's under the tree. There's there's, there's Claire's (laughs) merchandise under the tree. Got some hot chocolate. Yes. Some Swiss Miss on the Mm. (laughs) stovetop. Yeah, the snow actually was falling here the other day. No way. I haven't seen snow yet. Yeah, it didn't stick, but it mostly Mm -hmm. like just turned into freezing rain eventually. But there were big ass snowflakes and I was on my way to work. So yeah, we're fully in the Christmas season. I feel like it's already Christmas because of the nature of time these days that it's simply (laughs) escaping me. Right. But I've been very on top of it this year. I've bought all of my Christmas gifts. It is done. So nice. You know, we're in the home stretch now. Yeah. I am not, I mean, my family isn't doing anything for Christmas. I got my parents some gifts, like just for the being alive of it. (laughs) And um, I'm like done. I'm done. I'm at 3000. So I'm just sitting back, relaxing. I'm like, what do I do for New Year's, babes? Mm, yeah. I mean, I've, I've said it on the pod before, and I'll say it again. I'm very pro a New Year's Eve in. I think right. going out is a mistake. I right. mean, no shade to you if you love going out on New Year's. Couldn't be me. I'm just Couldn't not strong enough. Um, so <laughs> my, I, I need my wits about me as the clock strikes. <laughs> Exactly. I love a fancy like New Year's Eve party in yes. with your friends. You get dressed up, yes. you have champagne. Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing this year. I'm going to get some frozen uh, appetizers, throw those in the oven. That is the truth. That mm-hmm. is the truth. Okay. My guilty pleasure is reading. This isn't even guilty. Like I will openly <laughs> admit this, but I love reading a grocery store magazine. Mm-hmm. Like with the little recipes yep. and the little like, here's for the, you know. And I was looking at one for the holiday season and they were like, frozen pastry. Put the spinach dip in there. Yeah. Toss that in the oven. Done. Frozen appetizer, like semi-homemade, you're in there. And I was exactly. like, you know what? Why am I going through the trouble to make something entirely from scratch? Like it's going to taste the same. And no one's here for the appetizers, okay? Yeah. I mean, that's like a nice part of it, but it's not the whole reason that people gather. So Exactly. In what world do you think I'm making my own mac and cheese balls? I'm not doing it. I'm buying them pre-made. It's honestly probably cheaper. I would be upset if you made your own (laughs) mac and cheese balls. I'd say, why are you putting yourself in this? I can promise you, I will never make a mac and cheese ball from scratch as long as I live. As long as they're available (laughs) in the frozen section at the grocery store, I'm not doing it. I would only do... And I'm not, I'm not a mac and cheese ball. I'm not insane. But, like, I would do more <laughs> if I had, like, a full kitchen. Right. But at, at living in an apartment? If I had a KitchenAid stand mixer, who knows what I'd do. story. <laughs> I'd have a different life if I had yeah. a KitchenAid stand mixer. I'd be mixer. a different person. I'd call me a different name. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now Eliza. 
Yeah. <laughs> the old Christina can't come to the phone because she's too busy at her KitchenAid stand mixer. So. Exactly. Um, yes. That being said, I will be buying lobster mac and cheese balls uh, for New Year's. So As you should. Everyone's invited. Come to my New Year's Eve party and let me know. <laughs> but that being said, I guess should we talk about today's movie? Let's get into it. Um, I hadn't seen this film before, mm-hmm. but I thought it looked like something I would enjoy. It was kind of giving um, not like not Pretty Woman the plot, but more so mm-hmm. the romance aspect. Yeah. So today we are doing the 2001 classic serendipity yeah this is one that i didn't grow up watching but um i think i watched it for the first time maybe like seven eight years ago it was sometime around after we graduated college Mm -hmm. and it's not like my favorite rom-com ever but i think it's like really cute and i really liked it i was like genuinely charmed by both John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale, even though mm-hmm. they're both like not the best people, um, but they both have so much charisma that I think it works for me at least. Yeah, I hadn't really seen John Cusack as an adult acting. Mm. Like, I don't know the last movie I saw with him because I'm thinking of like The Breakfast Club and he's not in. The oh, wait, Breakfast no, he's Club. not in. The... <laughs> you know, I kept thinking that he was the um, he like... doesn't say anything with the boombox. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Wow, I'm really smushing together those two movies. But <laughs> yeah, so I hadn't seen him. I love Joan Cusack. Yes. And so I was like, what's he going to bring to the table? But like, just both very, very, very charming. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Jeremy Piven's performance as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And fun fact, him and John Cusack, best friends in real life since they were kids. No way. Yeah. So that makes a lot like that chemistry between them as mm-hmm. friends was also really palpable. Yeah. We had some Eugene Levy comedic mm-hmm. s- chops in there. John Corbett in literally the most hateable role. <laughs> yep. Like I've only seen him in like very nice, like charming guy roles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And like, wow, why'd you do this to my man? Mm-hmm. Why did you put him in that band? Yeah. Um <laughs> But I realized I was like, they're giving him, and I feel this way in Sex and the City too. He, they kind of give him like a more, he has more depth, but he's a himbo. Yeah, they definitely make him, they go for like the crunchy granola thing with John mm-hmm. Corbett. Like both him and Aiden are like a little new agey, right. like a little you know, nature guys kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They're not, he doesn't really ever get the sophisticated city type, you know? No, 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 no. He's more of like the big rugged man, Mm -hmm. like who's like really playful, kind of like a golden retriever. Yeah, exactly. And in Sex and the City, well, I guess Pete isn't the golden retriever, but he does have like a big dog. Yeah. So, yeah. And fun fact, so, because you haven't seen this portion of Sex and the City the first time that Aiden and Carrie date, I like, you know, gave you the backstory that she cheated mm-hmm. on him with Big. Right. Big was married. He had a wife, Natasha. And mm. Natasha was played by Bridget Moynihan, who is Hallie in this movie. Oh my God. So both people who got cheated on in Sex in the City also get cheated on in this movie. Damn. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Well, should we talk about the numbers? <laughs> Let's get into the numbers. So the budget for this film, if I can find the tab, was $28 million. And they made that money back, honey. They mm -hmm. made $77.5 million in the box office. Yeah. Very big return. And I know a lot of people were surprised that it did as well as it did because this movie actually came out two days after 9-11. I was wondering that. The mm -hmm. whole time I was watching because they don't have any shots of the Twin Towers, which would typically be like a normal, yeah. like aerial shot to show in a movie. And I was like, I bet this was like po what I assumed it was post 9-11 that it came out and there they wouldn't want to do that. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. So when it first uh, debuted at the Toronto Film Festival, those shots of the Twin Towers were still in there because like it uh, had just happened two days before. And everyone right, was right. like really shocked and it caught a lot of people off guard so mm -hmm. the studio digitally edited all of them out so you don't see you the twin towers and any of like the skyline shots wow and so yeah that's why the version that you see to this day there's they're not in there um yeah so and i know that like i read some stuff about how both kate beckinsale and john cusack were like really conflicted and kind of hesitant it, like it felt weird to be promoting a movie after like just after that had happened and like right. they even like went to new in york, new york because, too yeah the movie is set in new york but um apparently like people who lived in new york were like happy that he came to like promote this movie because it provided some sense of normalcy and that like they were able to you know come yeah. back and overcome and everything but i know that kate beckinsale said that in hindsight, like she kind of wished that they had waited a bit, like push the release because the studio did talk about pushing it um, because like a lot of people were afraid to go to movie theaters and stuff like that at the time. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. That is super, super crazy. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's also like, well, people always talk about when SNL did their first episode after 9-11 and... I think also like Mamma Mia was a big one that came out after 9-11. Yeah, that was the first musical that premiered on Broadway after 9-11. Right. Yeah. And so people were in a way really happy to have something that was just like joyful, like lighthearted yeah. to take their mind off of things and kind of like, yeah, make that normalcy again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unrelated to that, <laughs> there was some um, alternative casting options. So... Jennifer Aniston was offered the role of Sarah Thomas, but turned it down to avoid being typecast in romantic comedies. I feel like it would have been a different movie if she was cast. Yeah. Like, I really appreciated Kate Beckinsale's performance. Mm -hmm. Also, Carla Gugino and Claire Forlani auditioned for the role of Sarah Thomas. Yeah, I did read that initially Sarah was supposed to be an American and so when Kate Beckinsale auditioned, she put on an American accent, but they were like, we'll make her British since you're British. Yeah, why not? Yeah. They also filmed it in like the hottest part of August. So they're wearing like full winter coats and stuff. Yeah. And if you've never been to New York in August, it is like absolute hell. It's Sticky. It's a sticky, sweaty, sticky. horrendous time. Um, so that's yes. a lot of layers to be wearing. And like all the snow was fake mm -hmm. and they had to like 
put 350 like extras in the Central Park scene, especially to like make it all seem more realistic. Those poor extras. Yeah. So unfortunately, they only made a day rate. But <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And our last little fun fact is that the like you know very famous elevator scene in the Waldorf Astoria was actually not filmed there. It was filmed at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel right here in good old Toronto. Ooh, back in the toe, baby. Mm-hmm. Back in the six. And I think Kate Beckinsale, she was here a few years ago, and she recreated that scene with like an employee at the hotel. Wow! <laughs> like what a good sport. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, before we get into it, uh, we just want to remind you about Patreon because out today is our December bonus episode. We did the classic Barbie in the Nutcracker, which was so much fun. You may even hear about a potential new Respectful King. So Mm. if you are interested in that episode, head on over to our Patreon. It's $5 a month and you get a ton of cool perks. Yes. And with that being said, should we just open up the cover of Love in the Time of Cholera right into it. (laughs) Should we just serendipitously slip right into it? (laughs) Beautiful. So we open up where New York City, baby. We zoom into Bloomingdale's where we see a sales associate hand over a pair of cashmere gloves from the inventory room to go on the floor. Meanwhile, John Cusack, a.k.a. Jonathan Traeger, and Kate Beckinsale, a.k.a. Sarah Thomas, both reach for the same pair of gloves at that exact same moment. What? So they're both like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, here, you take the gloves. You take the gloves. (laughs) And Jonathan asks the sales associate if there's another pair in the back. But, of course, whatever is out is what they have. We're like five days away from Christmas. So they go back and forth, like insisting that the other take them. And Jonathan puts them back on the rack for like her to take. And then another man swoops in and tries to snatch them up. And he's like, oh, no, no, sorry. Like we were actually just having a discussion about the gloves. And he's like, okay, well, you can keep discussing while I buy them. Um, Because like I said, it's five days before Christmas. And Jonathan is like, no, no, no. Like, they're meant to be a very special gift. And at the same time, both Jonathan and Sarah say, it's for my girlfriend. It's for my boyfriend. (gasps) Oh, my God. Blunder. (laughs) So the man asks how they're buying one pair of gloves for two people. And Sarah is like, well, at the present time, he is my boyfriend. And then Jonathan says, but in 18 months. And she says, after the operation, <laughs> she will be his girlfriend. <laughs> and the man is like, all right, f- fuck you all. Hands <laughs> over the gloves. Jonathan gives them to Sarah. He's like, that was very quick thinking. Like, you earned them. And she's like, oh, you know, it was a team effort. And they share like a little smile. And there's a little spark going on between the two of them. Mm. It's like a very sweet little meet cute. So we go to Serendipity 3. Oh, my gosh. Just a little unknown spot. (laughs) I actually haven't been in so many years, but um, I've never been there. 
We should go. It's so fun. Yeah, let's go. It's like extremely kitschy in there. Um, it uh-huh. reminds me a lot of like Alice in Wonderland, especially the bottom floor. I've actually never um, eaten on the top floor where mm-hmm. they are in the movie because um, the bottom floor is so like cozy and cute. But I used to go there like every time I'd visit New York yeah. growing up. We would always go get the frozen hot chocolate. Uh-huh. Um yeah, so I haven't been probably since like maybe 2016 is the last time I was there, like when my parents were in town or something. But yeah, big fan of Serendipity 3. We should definitely go. There is always a line, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I bet. Like I've heard of it before, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, that this is why it's probably gained so much popularity like from the movie. Yeah. But they end up having frozen hot chocolates together and... Sarah wants to give him a check, but Jonathan says he still has to find something else to buy his girlfriend. So Sarah's like, oh, I can't accept the gloves now. But Jonathan's like, you have to, otherwise you won't treat because she offered to pay for their frozen hot chocolates. They are like 10 bucks, so they're not like the cheapest hot chocolate around. Yeah, I'm like, this seems like a fair trade. Yeah, But obviously they're having a time they're experiencing a spark Mm -hmm. and they don't want the night to end and he asks how she found this place and i'm like (laughs) um yeah this little hole in the wall called serendipity Mm. (laughs) three yeah it's just super famous there there was literally a lineup when they were there like trying to get in (laughs) yeah Yeah. they show them like waiting in line so so she's like well i first came in because of the name serendipity it's one of my favorite words and then here we go with the what's your sign, burning incense. Yeah. She's very new age. Mm-hmm. And she tells uh, Jonathan that she likes it because it's such a nice sounding word for a fortunate accident. But she doesn't believe in accidents. She believes in fate. And she says, we make our own decisions, but fate sends us signs, and it's how we interpret the signs that determine if we're happy or not. Because Jonathan is like, so are you saying we don't have free will? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? And she's like, no, no, no. And she brings up examples like the discovery of penicillin or Jonathan and the gloves. And Jonathan then does a cute retelling of how he ran into a beautiful, attractive English girl with a boyfriend, which she corroborates, like, yes, I have a boyfriend, and he has his glove lady. So serendipity that they met, but unfortunately, neither of them are single, even though they're acting like it. Absolutely. If my boyfriend was acting like that, I might kill him. Um, well, I feel like at that point, it's like you got to break things off. Yeah. But I understand it just happened. Yeah. I'm like, it's all like fun and hee hee until he's like, oh, an attractive, beautiful girl with a boyfriend. And then it, like he really gets and into it. And she was upset. I think she finds out he he isn't single first, and she's mm, like, with yes. a girlfriend? Like, yeah. very clearly upset. Mm-hmm. So. Also, her definition of serendipity isn't totally correct. Uh, I will read the Mer- Merriam-Webster uh, definition mm-hmm. for you all, which is, 
the gift of finding valuable or agreeable things not looked for. Ooh. So there we go. So they leave serendipity, and as they walk down the street, he asks if she's going to go meet her boyfriend now, but she says no. You know, he's probably out doing what you're doing. And I was like, oh, scandal. <laughs> and yeah, then right. he says, even more scandalous, oh, what, getting a crush on someone else's girlfriend? Mm-hmm. That's scandalous. Sir? I'm like, this would be so cute if you didn't have a girlfriend. Not a girlfriend, even. Well, they're not engaged at this point. Oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, this is a few years. I forgot. Prior. Yeah. Well, I did read that it was the script was supposed to be like it was supposed to be a much larger gap between when they meet and when they reunite. Like it's supposed to be ten or twelve years because they're supposed to be. Oh, that's too much. In their like early twenties when they meet for the first time, but audiences like didn't buy it. Obviously, mm-hmm. because no offense to John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale, but you don't look like you're twenty one. So they like tweaked it so that it's just like a few years pass. But Mm -hmm. yeah. So he asks for her phone number just in case. And she says, in case of what? And he says, you know, of life, which I actually thought was like a cute little line. Yeah. And he says that he had a great time and he'd never be able to find her again. And she says, well, if we're meant to meet again, we will. It's just not the right time. He's like, okay, like at least tell me your name. Mine's Jonathan. And she just kisses him on the cheek and wishes him a Merry Christmas before getting into a cab. And as she drives away, Jonathan's like, that's it. And then he kicks a puddle of slosh and it goes flying. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, how annoying. But then they managed to completely flip the moment and endear me to him by him apologizing to somebody. Yeah. Like he accidentally splashes someone walking by. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like... And I was like, yes. And just like that, you pulled me back in. <laughs> I'm pulled back, yeah. No, because I was also like, oh my God, what a what a nasty display of anger, like yeah. masculine nasty little man. machismo. And then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, do you yeah. need to splash you? And I'm like, literally in New York, if someone apologizes to you, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm seeing, Whoa. like, <laughs> Am I, is this real life right now? I'm seeing double what's happening. Right. I've been bumped into and like pushed over so many times. I will say, do you know who bumped into me and touched my arm and lovingly apologized? Susan Sarandon. So (gasps) it can happen. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan, having lost this woman forever is about to walk into the subway (laughs) when he just has like a moment and sighs and walks back up the steps what happened oh he went back to serendipity to check for his scarf and while he's up there he turns and who else came back sarah for (sighs) the gloves how serendipitous and he seizes the moment and asks to go do something. And she's like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't care. And she's like, let's go. So what do they do? Only like the most romantic thing to do at Christmas right, time. Right, they go right, ice right. skating. In Central Park? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nonetheless? Yeah. And I'm like, five days before Christmas, you're lucky if you're getting on that ice. My God. Literally, I was thinking, I was like, well, I know it's a movie, but I was also just yeah. like, I've never seen the Woolman rink that empty. Mm. Let me tell you. Never, never in your life. 
so they go ice skating. It's beautiful. Like the you see the city lights, the plaza lit up in the distance. Yeah. And he asks what she misses most about England. And she says, I miss my mom. And he says, if I were her, I'd miss you too. And I'm like, you're laying it on <laughs> so thick for someone who has a girlfriend. But, you know, time passes. The rink has emptied out, I guess, in this universe. Uh, the rink stays open 24 hours and you can just skate right. on it when there's no one else there. And it's just kind of there. like Yeah. It's like a skate park. Exactly. <laughs> And Sarah asks his favorite movie, and he says, Cool Hand Luke, and she's never seen it. He's like, oh, he does the classic man thing where he's like, oh, my God, you haven't seen Cool Man Luke? (laughs) So. (laughs) It is a classic Paul Newman movie. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I'm sure it's great. I think you might like it. I mean, it's probably pretty good. But, yeah, she then asks what his favorite New York moment is. And he says, well, this one's climbing the charts, Mm. of course. And she's (laughs) very flattered. And then she kind of like breaks the tension a little bit. And she's like, oh, what's your favorite sexual position? As she's like skating away from him. And then she immediately falls over on the ice. Humiliating. (laughs) Me uttering that line, thinking I'm so cool, and then falling on my ass. Right, that would happen to me. Be like, yeah. what's your favorite sexual position? Yeah. Just <laughs> scrape the shit out of my arm. Um, <laughs> your like, mouth is bleeding. <laughs> I'm missing three teeth. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily she just gets like a dainty little scrape on her arm. So he helps her up and they head off the ice. Yes, so they go sit on a bench as he bandages her arm up and then starts kind of caressing her arm. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, are you looking at my freckles? Curse of the English. And he's like, no, these aren't just freckles. Look closer. And goes off off camera for like a millisecond and comes back with a magic marker. Yeah, from somewhere. Okay, thank you, prop master. And (laughs) he like looks at her arm and connects some freckles and is like, this is Cassiopeia and tells her the story of Queen Cassiopeia, who thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. But one day she offended the gods. So Poseidon placed her in the heavens upside down on her throne. And now she's a constellation. And he brushes the hair out of her face, and they smile at each other, and he just gently kisses her arm. Wow. Yeah. As a girl with a lot of freckles, um, yeah, if somebody did that to me, I would fall in love with them immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I just find it unfathomable. Sometimes I'm like, are people this charming in real life? No. Yeah, okay. okay <laughs> They're not. Okay. At least not in my experience. This is a writer's room, babe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially a man. It's it, you're hard pressed. Right. Yeah. Right. In New York, even? Yeah. A man who's been living in New York for like minimum a decade. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Yeah. I feel like the charm, the true charm is just something you're either born with or you're not. Exactly. Yeah. 
Maybe you're yeah. born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline, but there's no. You don't grow into it. You can't teach it. that. Yeah. yeah. You can't even bottle it. Can't be distilled. Yeah. After this beautiful, intimate little moment, Sarah does give in and she finally writes her number down for Jonathan on like the tiniest scrap of paper she could <laughs> possibly find. And she's about to hand it over when a truck drives by and the whoosh of the wind makes this like tiny scrap of paper fly off into a wind of garbage. Mm-hmm. He, of course, can't find it, but Sarah's like, no, I can't write it down again. That was a sign. Fate is telling us to back off. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And she says, it's not an exact science. It's a feeling. He asks, what if she's wrong? Do you think fate is just going to deliver my information to your door? And she says, that's the best idea you've had all night. And she gives him a $5 bill and has him write his name and number on it. She then runs across the street to a little stand and buys some certs with it and then starts walking away from him. And so he chases after her and she says, if that $5 bill makes it back to me, then I'll call you and then you'll believe in fate. And he says, okay, well, it's only fair that we put something out there with your name on it. Mm -hmm. So she pulls out her copy of Love in the Time of Cholera and says she'll write her name and number in this book. And then first things tomorrow, she'll take it to a used bookstore. And so now every time he goes past an old bookstore, he'll have to check for it. And he's like, this is so wrong. You you don't spend an incredible night with a perfect stranger and then just leave it all to chance. And she then gets an idea and pulls him into the Waldorf Astoria. <gasps> what could happen next? Oh, my God. He's like, are we going to get a room? <laughs> I know, right? Um, this makes me want to go to the Waldorf mm -hmm. and have, like, tea or something. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I've never been inside. It's gorge. Yeah, I feel like there are so many pillars. Like, I've never been inside the plaza. I would love to go for tea at the plaza. I've only ever just been yeah. to, like, the little basement market place thing where I still can't afford anything down there either. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should go for, like, a cocktail at the plaza one day. Just splurge. Oh, yeah. We should, like, if we want to, like, have a, a splurge mom, mm -hmm. go for tea or just even a cocktail. Like, I would love to. Yeah. If we were single, like, that would be the place to go. Absolutely. So, like, if we were in a sitcom and you and I were roommates and we were single, mm. we'd be like, so, girlfriend, after work, the plaza <laughs> to scope out some financiers. Yeah. Some out-of-towners. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some, I moved here to work for my daddy's hedge fund. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so they arrive at the Waldorf Astoria and... She brings Jonathan into the elevator bay and has them stand in opposing sides of the elevator bank. She says, if they both pick the same floor, then they're meant to be together. And I'm like, now you're just coming up with shit from the sky. Yeah, you're just making shit up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But she tells him he just has to have faith in destiny. So she tosses the Bloomingdale's back to him. And just before the door closes, she tells him, my name is Sarah. It's Sarah. And they both choose floor 23. And we're like, <gasps> oh, oh my God, my what could God. happen? 
good. They're going to meet. They're going to fall in love. What's the rest of this movie going to be about? It's going to end <laughs> here. So turns out Sarah kept one of the gloves in her pocket. He only has one glove. Jonathan's elevator then stops on the 14th floor. It's a parent with a kid who is dressed like the devil for some reason. And actually is a devil child. Mm-hmm. He is like enthralled by the elevator, I guess. Like that's why they're mm-hmm. they caught it. They're not going anywhere. He just wants to be in the elevator. And the kid presses every fucking button. Okay. I hate it. Sarah gets out on the floor that she chose, the 23rd floor. Jonathan is stuck between floors with this child who is now hissing like (laughs) and he's really getting into character Mm -hmm. um the stranger and his child get invested and as they open up the doors on every floor they're like is she here is she here and as they collect people on the floors subsequently they're like okay where is she where is she sarah meanwhile sits on the floor in tears Eventually, she gets an elevator back down just before <gasps> Jonathan gets to the 23rd floor. Oh, my and God. And he obviously rushes back down, but just misses her in the lobby. Sarah leaves the hotel seconds before Jonathan, and he searches the street for her. But she's gone. Wow. Devastating. So we then have a bit of a time jump, and it says... A few years later, we are at a wedding rehearsal dinner for the best man, Dean, a.k.a. Jeremy Piven. He's talking about how once in a lifetime, someone comes along who you're meant to be with. And for Jonathan Traeger, that person was me. Ha ha ha. Laughs all around. We see Jonathan sitting with a woman who we only see from behind with brown hair. She has an engagement ring on. She's caressing his hair. Who could it be? My God. He talks about how, you know, they were roommates in college. And And they were roommates. And then they were roommates. (laughs) And apparently Jonathan used to want to be a documentary filmmaker, which I thought was going to come back, but they don't mention it ever again. I think they only mention it to be like he's not doing what he wanted to. Yeah, I guess. Basically says that one night, you know, he came home different because he found her and he knew he had met his soulmate. So he then raises a glass to the new Mrs. Jonathan Traeger and says if he had to lose Johnny to anyone, he can't imagine a more perfect woman than Hallie. Who's Hallie? Mm. My God, it's Bridget Moynihan. And we see Jonathan and Hallie kiss her name is hallie yeah that's so crazy i kept calling her Haley in my mind yeah (laughs) (laughs) so at the end of the night everyone including a very drunk dean is leaving jonathan turns down going out for one more drink because he has an early morning and hallie tells jonathan he better be awake later because she's gonna come home and get undressed and climb into bed and act like they've just gotten over a terrible fight. And this is also like a bit of a callback to the rehearsal dinner because um, they're talking about Dean and his wife, Courtney, and how they always look so in love and they have a great relationship and they probably never fight. 
but they're like, oh, well, when we fight, we have great makeup socks. Yeah. And then they kiss and say goodbye. And Jonathan just looks at the Waldorf Astoria sign. So his rehearsal dinner was at the Waldorf. Oh, my God. The connections are beginning. And so as Jonathan is walking home, he passes by a little street stand with old books. And he stops Mm -hmm. and looks at that copy of Love in the Time of Cholera. And he opens it up, but doesn't have Sarah's name in it. No cigar. Meanwhile, Sarah... Now lives in San Francisco. Oh, my God. And there she works as a therapist. And she's in a session with a patient who just lost his girlfriend. And he's like, I can't believe I lost my soulmate. And Sarah says, I think it's dangerous to use that term. You know, it implies that fate and destiny exist. And holding on to those beliefs stops us from doing the real work. (laughs) And he's like, Really? And she's like, yeah, I believe that there are many people out there that you could be happy with. So clearly this whole thing with Jonathan has hardened her a little bit. She doesn't believe in fate anymore. Yeah. She's a loaf of stale bread now. (laughs) So we go home where Sarah finds rose petals all over her floor. Also, she lives in like my dream house. It's like by water like a little kind of cottage. Um, I know they're in San Francisco, but it does kind of look New England-y, like colonial Yeah, it's like a bungalow. Yeah, and just like lots of windows. And when she walks in, just a ton of rose petals on the floor and these candles lit in this huge box right in front of the front door. And she opens it. Inside, there's another box, another box, another box, until she gets to the smallest box, a ring box. <gasps> but it's empty. Oh, my God. John Corbett walks out <laughs> playing Lars Hammond, a um, mm. new-aged musician. <laughs> Lars walks over with a ring saying she has to say yes first. And Sarah says yes. They kiss. Then he tries to put the ring on, but it's too small. (gasps) It's too small for her finger. I'm like, she doesn't have any other rings you wanted to look at? Yeah, you're proposing to this woman? You don't take the time to figure out her ring size? And I'm like, she's pretty tiny, too. Yeah. So, like, what size ring ring? ring? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, please don't read into this. It's just a mistake. And she's like, of course, of course, we'll get it refitted. So he knows about her proclivities to yeah. signs and like the whole um, fate thing. And she probably was with him. I guess it's implied when she met Jonathan. Well, we learn later, actually. I mean, I think that it's a different boyfriend. Potentially. Oh, you're right. Because she has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Unless she applied for that card way before they met. But yeah, I think that it it just over time, she's fallen out of endearment, I guess, with like the idea of fate and yeah, and that sort of stuff. But he's still aware of like her proclivities toward it. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. And he tells her she can go get changed and he'll call Ryan 
And Sarah asks if he was worried she'd say no or something. And Lars says Ryan was worried about fitting their honeymoon into his touring schedule. So. Wow. That's the first person you're calling. Right. His agent. Yeah. He's not even like, let's pop the champagne. Let's call your parents. Let's, I don't know. But he's like, got to fit the honeymoon into the tour schedule. Yeah. Here's the thing. You have to work really, really hard for me to not root for John Corbett. Yeah. Especially in like a romantic scenario. Right. Like you have to make him pretty, pretty detestable. Mm-hmm. And I think that they they achieved that because I do not want her to be with Lars whatsoever. Yeah, but I don't – I think that they made him unappealing, but they didn't make him like a villain. Yeah. He just is so clearly not right for her. Exactly. And I actually – I think that it's good that they didn't make like both Lars and Hallie like these kind of off-putting people. Like Hallie is – great like she's very kind and sweet and you know there's like nothing wrong with her at all and i feel like they could have so easily gone down the route that so many other rom-coms take where Mm -hmm. they make like real villains out of the other partner so that you root for the main couple just out of sheer like default right and like as lovely and wonderful as hallie is like clearly jonathan's just his heart isn't in it It's not even that they're Mm -hmm. not necessarily the match. It's just that he's not in love with her. Yeah. So I am glad that they didn't make them both just like awful, terrible people because that's so lazy. Yeah, that's lame. So we then go back to New York. We're at the driving range. Oh, fun. And it turns out now Jonathan works as a producer for ESPN News. So he's on site at the golf range where the reporter is doing a story about it. And as soon as they finish filming, Jonathan starts rushing out. He has an appointment. Mm -hmm. And that's when he hears a woman named Sarah Lawson being paged over the speakers. And as soon as he hears the smallest breath of a British accent coming out of this woman, he whips his head around. But it's not her. It's just another British woman named Sarah. There are a lot of them, I bet. Yeah. So... Jonathan then goes to the salon to get his hair cut. Obviously, he's about to get married, so getting a little chomp. But his usual hairdresser is off, and instead, he gets a woman named Sarah. <gasps> and he just rips off the cape, and he's like, um, actually, I don't want a fresh haircut right now. Like, right before my <laughs> wedding? No, thank you. Runs out of there. Then Jonathan is in a cab when he hears a cyclist right outside singing along to Sarah Smile by Hall & Oates, and he tells the driver, you know what, take me to the New York Times building. So we go to the New York Times building. That's where Dean works. He writes the uh, obits. Jonathan tells him about all the Sarah signs that he's gotten today and how it's really screwing with his head. And Dean reminds him that he's getting married. He's being betrothed in three Mm -hmm. days. So why would you risk your years-long relationship with Hallie for some pipe dream? And I say, these are all good questions, Dean. Mm -hmm. And then this is what really puts the nail in the coffin for me, is Jonathan says, I'm sure that I'm in love with Hallie. And I'm like, right there, that tells you everything you need to know. Call off the wedding now. Yeah. Even like outside of the Sarah stuff, 
you're clearly not in it. No. And he says, you know, I'm sure I'm in love with Hallie and that every time you fall in love, it's a different experience. So maybe it's a mistake to compare them. And then he pulls out an analogy and says that Hallie is like The Godfather Part 2, which is an incredible movie, maybe even better than the original. But no matter how much no. you love... <laughs> I've never seen any Godfather, so... I wonder if he'd like it. I don't know. If I don't know. I mean, it, I'm sure... Really like the fighting. I'm sure it's good. There is a lot of violence in the movie, but um, yeah. Al Pacino and... Is Susan Sarandon? Uh, is Diane the... Keaton in The Godfather? Diane Keaton. Yeah, Diane Keaton is in it, and then little baby Sofia Coppola. <laughs> I have to watch it eventually before I die. But yeah, yeah, we should. We'll have yeah. a little watching viewing party. Yeah, I've definitely heard the people discuss. You know, which one is better, part one, part two? Of course, very different movies. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he says that part two is an incredible movie, maybe better than the original. But no matter how much you love it. You still have to see the original to understand the sequel. And Dean is like, all right, what are you saying, my guy? And he's like, I want you to find Sarah for me. And Dean is like, I literally write the obituaries <laughs> at the New York Times. like, con And he says, contrary to popular New York myth, the Times is not omniscient. <laughs> he says he at least needs like a last name or a social security number. And I'm like, social security number? Jesus. Um, but all Jonathan has is that they need to track down the book, which he has already years ago, like searched every single bookstore in the city and did not find. Yes. So the two men go to just a ton of bookstores looking for the book, but no such luck. And Jonathan wonders if maybe he's just getting cold feet. Yeah. And Dean says, <laughs> I'm, yeah, your feet are more than cold. They're frozen off. Mm hmm. And Dean says, British women don't age well anyways, so she probably looks more like Old Spice than Baby Spice right now. Love. I'm like, all right, Jeremy <laughs> Piven. Jonathan goes home to Haley. She compliments his haircut, and I'm like, again, she's not an evil character, yeah. but she's not the one. Yeah. She asks to hear something romantic, like how she's the only girl in the universe meant for him. And he's about to say something when the smoke alarm goes off and Hallie's like, oh my God, dinner. Like, And in the frenzy, she like mentions that she emptied out his closet so they can pack for the honeymoon. And she's like, I'm going to go yell at the super. And I'm like, you burnt dinner. Yeah. Why are you yelling at the super? I burned dinner. <laughs> right. I burned dinner. I'm infuriated right now. And this scene also made me, like, I didn't love Hallie's character. I was, like, yeah, she kind of seems checked out or, like, not checked out, but not very observant. Um, well, there was a moment later on, like, when she gives him the book, I was, like, that is very, like, you've always noticed him looking at is, this book. Yeah. 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 I guess maybe I don't find her to be observant in the same way that he's observant. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like their proclivities are mismatched, where I feel like, at least in this movie, like, Sarah's character would be like, oh, you didn't get your hair cut. Yeah. But, um, and I feel like she's also the type that wouldn't forget about dinner, mm -hmm. like cooking. But either way, she, again, the woman is not the devil. She's yeah. a fine person. <laughs> yeah. So 
Jonathan is looking at all of his clothes strewn on the bed and sees the Bloomies bag. (gasps) And inside, the black cashmere glove is still there. Oh, my God. And he actually, like, smells it, puts it on his hand, and pulls out the receipt to see Sarah's credit card account on it. (gasps) Oh, no. He's going to steal her identity. Yes. (laughs) It's a very different movie. (laughs) Scammer king. And then we see what I can only describe as a horror show. Um, (laughs) Lars is performing with his band. It is Cultural Appropriation Station. We have this. What instrument is he playing? Is the clarinet or? I thought it was like the oboe at first, but I genuinely don't know. But yeah, like this white man is the front man of this like world music, new age music. It's like the band members are dressed like monks or are supposed to be like Buddhist coded, I guess. It's such a like mishmash of cultures. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But somehow Sarah is like very into it. She's enjoying the performance. And after the song, Sarah's sister Caroline runs up and she's like, oh, my God, let me see the ring. And is surprised because Sarah said before that she wanted a round cut diamond. Mm. And I scream at the screen, wrong ring, wrong guy, which are the words of Samantha Jones when – so some backstory. When Aiden – oh, no, you saw that when, like, he was going to propose with, like, the ugly ring. Yeah. Yeah. And Samantha's like, wrong ring, wrong guy. I stand by that to this day. As a thing, wrong proposal, wrong guy. It just shows that he doesn't yeah. know you. Right, right. Also, Lars is a new age flutist. Yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> um, so Sarah brushes this off. And I'm like, you're better than me, sister. But <laughs> Lars then comes up and hugs her. And I think her sister's like, oh, was that last song really inspired by my sister? And he's like, yeah, she's my muse. (laughs) But this moment is then interrupted by Lars' manager, Ryan, who is so far up his asshole 24-7. Yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, great news. Lars' tour dates in Stockholm sold out in eight hours, so we're going to have to add more shows. And Sarah's like, um... Sorry, not to be a wet blanket, but actually, like, we already set the dates for our wedding and the honeymoon, and, like, I told my patients when I'll be gone, like, I took time off work, and Lars is like, oh, your patients can do without you for a couple weeks, and I'm like, that's not how a job works. No. And Caroline agrees, yeah, a couple extra weeks in Europe won't kill you, and that's when Caroline's husband, Kip, says, oh, She's only saying that so we can house sit for you a little longer. And it turns out she, like, hasn't even asked yet. And, like, it is a beautiful house. I, too, would want to stay there as long as I could. Oh, yeah. And Lars is like, you know what? I think that's a great idea. But Sarah is clearly still, like, bothered by the last-minute change of plans and says that her patients are important, too. But he doesn't seem to get that and why it would bother her, which, again, Mm -hmm. wrong guy. But then he's pulled away to, like, approve some T-shirt designs. He's like, can we talk about this later? And the lady who's, like, trying to pull him away is like, oh, you don't mind, right? And she's like, yeah, we can talk about it later. And he's like, she don't mind. And then walks off. And I was like, ugh. I'm like, stop. Like, think about it for a second. Yeah. 
you know? It like it would have been even better if he just was like, thanks, we'll talk about this later and left. But he's like, she don't mind. And I was like, Right. I can't believe you're making me hate John Corbett right now. I know. But as we've established, Sarah clearly minds and she ends up running through the rain, leaving the bar. She puddles into a corner in this rainy New York evening or a San Francisco evening. And she tries to smoke a cigarette, but her match gets put out by the rain. And then she sees a poster for Cool Hand Luke on some indie theater. Mm. So she's getting a feeling. Isn't it just so pretty to think all along there was some invisible string? Tiny to me. Every Taylor Swift song, I'm like, wow, this is so fun to sing. And then she's like, and I'm down here. And I'm like, I can't meet you down here. (laughs) Also, I'm like, how does Taylor Swift only have universal experiences? Yeah. I guess everyone's done everything before. (laughs) Nothing is new. Everything's been experienced. We've all had the same thoughts. Mm -hmm. So... The next day, Sarah goes to see her best friend, Eve, a.k.a. Molly Shannon, who I completely forgot was was in this movie. I was so excited. Yeah. Just as like a tiny little supporting part. And Eve is like, Sarah, the poster was no big deal. And I thought you were done with all that new age crap. Eve literally owns (laughs) like a new age store and tea shop and is wearing a bindi. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know. You got to pay the bills. And like a sorry or something. or Yeah. Sarah points this out. And Eve is like, yeah, but if you get too into all this stuff, you end up like my customers. Buying candles to light at home, hoping it brings you Mr. Right. But Mr. Right now is hanging out at the corner bar. So these ladies are uh, jaded. Mm-hmm. Steady girls. Rise up. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile in New York, we're at Bloomingdale's and Jonathan is trying to find Sarah through this receipt from years ago. And who does he ask but Bloomingdale's clerk, salesman extraordinaire, Eugene Levy. And Mr. Levy is like, there's nothing I can do. And he's like, oh, well, maybe just and tries to like go around the the uh, counter. And he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> Clients need to stay on that side. This side is for personnel. Employees only. Stay on that side. And Jonathan asks him to just enter the account number into the computer. Tell him her name. He's like, listen, is $20 going to make a difference? And he's like, well, I was a little short on the weekly sales draw. So Jonathan picks up an Hermes tie. And I'm like, $500. But we're in 2001, baby, Mm -hmm. and it's a $95 tie. But Mr. Levy is still short five or $700. So he absolutely extorts Jonathan and he's like, okay, ring up whatever it takes. And he's like, well, we have a purple tie. What would go with a purple tie? Cut to Jonathan in a purple velvet suit. And he's like, I look like a magician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, just just ring it up. And Mr. Levy's like, 
okay, I already did. It was a dead account. There was no information in our system. <laughs> He's a scammer. So absolutely <laughs> hustled right now by the Bloomy sales clerk. Yeah. And Jonathan chases Eugene Levy, grabs him by the collar, and he's like, listen, listen, when someone opens a credit card, there's a hard copy that goes to the storage facility in Queens. All you need is the account number and an employee to get you in. <laughs> and then he pulls out a pair of leather <laughs> shoes and Jonathan just slaps that shit out of his hand. This was such a fun scene. I think that they played off I each other it. so well. There's like a lot of back and forth that I didn't include in the notes, but like especially him going around to his side of the counter is like a very consistent yeah. bit. And um, apparently the director did have to tell Eugene to like pull it back a little bit because he was doing too much. You're upstaging. <laughs> You're upstaging the, the principal role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but yeah. it's so fun. Also good for him. Make your money, King. Mm-hmm. So after his, you know, $900 day, Jonathan goes home with a six-pack of beer where he finds Hallie sleeping. He brushes her hair and tries to wake her up, but she just keeps sleeping, and he cracks open a Heineken. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in San Francisco, Sarah is heading out for the day when she sees a $5 bill sitting on the nightstand, and she, out of habit, turns it over to see if it has Jonathan's number on it, but it doesn't. So, (laughs) this next scene is truly unhinged. Lars is watching his new music video. And let me just describe to you the plot. There is a Viking uh, army. Yeah. Okay. And Lars playing his little flute away. And (laughs) it's like. The, there's the a child Vikings there. Are attacking. Yeah, there's a child there. And Lars keeps going back and forth with, with his agent, Ryan. He's like, the the music video, it's not really important. Wait, are you just saying it's not really important? It's not important to the plot. Yeah, I just didn't describe what they were saying because I was like, it's inconsequential. But they're like, okay. oh, it looks like they, they don't like it's the inconsequential. music. Oh, why didn't they ask me to join the feast? Like, yeah. it's, He's ugh. like supposed to be saving the the town from the Vikings through the music of the flute. And ultimately he's like, <laughs> but at the end I just walk away. Like I should be having a feast with them. Like why aren't we having a feast? <laughs> And what an so, insane sentence. Because <laughs> he's like, it looks like the Vikings are mad, but they're supposed to be like endeared by the music and like it's supposed to calm them. Mm. They look so angry. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that aside, Sarah goes up to Lars and she's like, listen, I lost my keys the other day. I'm very stressed out. I just found them in the freezer. And I'm like, that's a sign of Alzheimer's. But yeah. she's just stressed with the wedding and work. And Lars is like, I'm leaving for Toronto in the morning. You can't fall apart on me now. And she's like, no, I know. I just need a little break. I need a weekend away to recharge my batteries. And Lars is surprised at first, but she like reassures him. And he's like, okay, I understand. He asks where she's going. And she's like, um, you know, I don't know. New York, maybe? Mm. I don't know. I haven't thought about it at all. 
New York? Yeah, maybe just the city where I had this one like crazy night and I fell in love with this guy and never saw him again. Maybe I'll go there. So she then goes to Eve's store once again where she's like getting a massage outside on the street, I guess. Sure. And she surprises Eve with the tickets to New York, claiming that it's for Eve's birthday. And Eve is so excited. And she's like, oh, my God, like, Sarah, this is way too generous of you. Like, are you sure? Like, no ulterior motives, right? Mm. And Sarah's like, right. No, just like, you know, I'm getting married so soon. (laughs) And I just want to have one last fling with my bestie. That's all. Lies. Liza Minnelli. Yeah. Back in Queens, New York, Jonathan Dean and Bloomie's clerk, Eugene Levy, go to Queens. Well, they're, yeah, they're in Queens, just looking through boxes and boxes of credit card applications. We hear a scream coming from Jonathan, and he finally finds Sarah's application, but they can't even read her last name because it's carbon paper. And if you've ever written a check, uh, you know that carbon paper actually sucks or written mm. on a typewriter. Yeah. But <sighs> Gen Z would never know. <laughs> Today's kids. You know what I was thinking about also while watching this movie? Yeah. Because she called later on she calls information. Yes! Right. So I was thinking about that. And I was also thinking mm-hmm. about the yellow pages. Right. Like those were things you could just look someone up. You could just look someone up. Find all their information. <laughs> totally. Totally. Crazy. And I was also thinking, I was like, why aren't they just like calling the numbers? And I'm like, there's a switchboard operator. <laughs> well, it's not, there's a switchboard it's not that operator. Long ago. <laughs> well, when did they switch from like a switchboard to let me see. Because, like, satellites existed in 2001, you know? Like, we had cell well, phones. Yes, of course. But I know, like, for example, my ex-boyfriend's mom in her 20s, like, after college, mm. was did a switchboard, like, for the phone company. Yeah. Like, operated a switchboard. It was definitely more advanced, but it was still um, a switchboard. Mm. But I don't know if the, the caller actually talk to the switchboard operator or if it was just like they got sent a signal like now connect this to this right in order for the calls to be made um but anyways mm-hmm. yes a very different communication method for sure yeah. so what they're like we can't even read your last name what do we do here but they do have an address from seven years ago and eugene is like listen you know Go to the address, find the leasing office, get her information. And they're like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, why not? Meanwhile, Sarah and Eve arrive in New York City. They hop in a cab and he's like, where to? And she says, take us anywhere in New York. And Eve, it finally clicks for her that maybe Sarah did not take her on this trip just to celebrate her B-Day. Yeah. And Sarah's like, please don't be mad. I meant to tell you on the plane. And then Eve jumps out of the cab and goes back into the airport. (laughs) And Sarah goes after her and tells her she knew she wouldn't come if she told her the truth. And she needed her best friend with her. What would you do if I did this to you? Um... 
her eyebrows are crinkled right now. I'm like, I'm just thinking, I'm like, would I be, would I be mad? I don't know. I feel like I would just be like, hey, you need to end your relationship and then we can go do this. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably what I would say. But I would go with you. Right. Yeah. I would also go with you. I'd probably just be like, yeah, I think, I think it's probably like a sign. Yeah. That you need to end things. Yeah, exactly. But. I also do think that love is very complicated. Mm-hmm. And I generally, just like generally speaking, like I know that it can be very difficult to like, like when they first met on that like mm-hmm. evening to just be like go home and their relationship. Right. Yeah, of course. But to go to get to the point of like marriage and then be like, I'm going to go across the country and like do this whole mm-hmm. search. Definitely. A ne- another level past just a fling yeah just like a flirtation so. for sure mm-hmm. and i think that like if it gets to that point where you are like getting married but you still have somebody else lingering in your mind then it means that probably the person that you're marrying isn't it like you probably have like you kind of right. want to go into obviously with it's impossible to go into anything with like 110 million percent certainty and have like no doubt whatsoever just because like that's the nature of the human mind Mm -hmm. but you want to feel like sure about it obviously and if you're not sure about it then whether it's because you should be with this other person or not is like irrelevant it's just that like yeah this particular union is maybe not the right choice for you yeah but no i i would i would be i would go with you but i would be like hey i think you need to have a conversation with your partner first and then we'll go gallivant away (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so eve asks her to tell her the truth and sarah says that through the whole flight she was thinking about jonathan you know the fragment of him that she can remember and she feels like the whole universe existed to bring them together and she let fate guide her so That way she doesn't have to think about him anymore. So Sarah goes back out and gets into the cab. Eve joins her. She joins her in the cab. And the driver's like, where are we going? And Sarah's like, I guess to the Waldorf. Going to get a last minute hotel reservation at the Waldorf Astoria for $8 million, surely. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) Like, how much money are you making? Right. So after they check in at the Waldorf, Sarah just lets fate guide her. Meanwhile, Jonathan is letting, I don't know if you can call it fate, but he's being guided to the leasing office. (laughs) And he tries to convince a temp who's like 20 years old to give them information on Sarah, which he clearly is not supposed to divulge. And Dean convinces him by giving him this spiel about, like, how privacy laws only help the rich and people his age are, like, making millions of dollars right now doing what? Getting into, like, computer science and, like, da-da-da. Sure. (laughs) And the kid is like, you're right. Here's the apartment and shows them the results. And the apartment is under someone named Sebastian Mignon. And I'm like, are we in Amelie right now? Yeah. Mignon. Yes. Mignon means cute. <laughs> Jonathan leaves the leasing office, just rearing and ready to go 
to their next destination on their wild goose chase, but Dean reminds him that his rehearsal dinner and bachelorette party are this evening. But Jonathan is like, we have to go to Brooklyn first. All the way to Brooklyn? I do think that the reason why like he's not been able to find her all this time is because he's been trying. And if he just stopped trying, he probably would have found her long ago. Yeah. Sarah and Eve are walking down the street and Eve decides to buy a fake Prado wallet. It says Prado. <laughs> we also see this man dressed as like a giant golf ball on like a like a golf ball on a tee advertising mm-hmm. The driving range, apparently the only driving range in New York City. And he ends up like falling over and they help him up and Sarah takes one of his flyers. We also see her like pet the same Dalmatian that Jonathan had just pet in the previous scene. So like they, you know, their lives are intertwining is what we're Right. Their paths are crossing. Yeah. And so Sarah decides that this is a sign and she needs to go to the driving range. So Jonathan and Dean are on the subway going to Brooklyn, and Sarah makes it to the golf range. So Eve and Sarah are looking just at all the different men who are playing golf, trying to find him. They're also able to see the filming for the commercial, which was like what Jonathan was doing earlier in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're really just missing each other so briefly. But... The cameraman then tells Sarah that she's blocking his shot, and she walks away, decides to sit on a bench, puts her hand on the back of the seat, and realizes there's gum on it. (gasps) We see a flashback of Jonathan sitting in the same bench, putting his gum there. I'm like, rude, disrespectful. Nasty. Yeah. And as they look for Jonathan down below, Jonathan's about to be father-in-law hits a golf ball that ricochets off a golf cart into Eve's head. Then another guy swings his club right into her head as well, and she passes out. Somehow she recovers miraculously from this. Right. Because we never mention it again. (laughs) No, they're just like, Molly Shannon's in the movie. We got to make her funny. Yeah. Um, I was reading, like, before I started watching, both Kate Beckinsale and Molly Shannon opted to not have stunt doubles like they did both of their own stunts and i was like what stunts could there possibly be in this movie and i guess it's like sarah falling on the ice and molly shannon getting hit in the head with a fucking golf club (laughs) so (laughs) yeah i'm like what's the choreo for that Mm -hmm. jonathan and dean make it to sarah's old apartment they sit down with monsieur mignon in his beautiful brooklyn loft and Jonathan like describes Sarah and asks him about her and he's like oh yes this girl uh she she had a boyfriend they only stayed for a few months uh he moved out very quickly and then at the end of the year she moved out too and I love your slight french accent like, you know? merci it's very subtle um <laughs> yeah very very well done very subtle and Jonathan asks if she may have left anything behind like anything with her last name on it And Mignon tells them that Sarah actually sat for his paintings for a while. And so Jonathan's like, oh, my God, can I see the painting? But he says it like she sat on me for a while. Yeah. And he's like, what? He's like, yes, for my painting. (laughs) That's what I said. Yeah. 
So he runs off to grab this canvas. He unrolls it, and it's like a very <laughs> surreal portrait of Sarah with like a huge mm-hmm. British flag. So not really the best thing to identify somebody from. No. And Jonathan's like, okay, um, do you maybe have like the name of the roommate finder service that you used? But Mignon says, no, he doesn't. He knows where it is, though. It's in Manhattan on 60th near Serendipity. <gasps> what? And off they go. If you're looking to have like a very, very sweet tooth afternoon, you could go to Serendipity and then also go to Dylan's Candy Bar because that's right around there too. I love Dylan's Candy Bar. Yeah. Love it. Because you get the vintage candy and mm-hmm. also you have like the candy bar you can put and make a bag full of gummies and like, ah. Uh, yeah. And then there's so like good. the Dylan's Candy Bar brand stuff, which is always really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I prefer Dylan's Candy Bar to the FAO Schwartz Candy Bar if you're ever looking for a good candy bar. I've never bar. been to the FAO Schwartz Candy Bar. Now I never will. It's cute. Because I'm a Dylan's purist. Yeah. <laughs> they have, if you're looking for like, like they have like Hello Kitty treats mm. and like gift sets and stuff like that, but not, the candy bar is pretty mid. Yeah. So I did just get my advent calendar and I splurged <gasps> this year. Ooh. I got a lint yeah. advent calendar. It was $18. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's expensive. But the can the chocolate is Wait, delicious. Eight zero? 18. Not eight not 80. One eight. One eight. Yeah. Oh, that's not too bad. It's not too bad. But like the other ones are like 10. So Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I was like, I want lint chocolate every day. So Yeah. I will spend money on this. Cause I'm a grown up. Cause I'm a grown up. Yeah. Um Josh got me a 30-day – it's not really like a Christmas advent calendar. It's just like a month one. Mm. It's a 30-day Japanese advent calendar. So each Ooh. day has just like a little – like there was like a little candy thing with a little toy inside and mm. another thing and just a bunch of random like tchotchkes and stuff. Oh my God, and like, that's wow. so cute. And it's I for love 30 days. So you get extra. That's the best. Yes. Yeah. And we're going through the wine advent calendar as well. Mm. What's what's the fave? What's the fave so far? There was one from Argentina that was a Cab Sauv that was mm. really nice. I don't love a white wine. Yeah, same. So I had one the other day, but it was pretty good. It wasn't too um, sweet. It was pretty dry, and I was That's like, good. "This would have been good if we made fish tonight." Yeah, been like good pairing, but. Definitely the Capsov from Argentina. Argentina has really good wines. Yeah. Uh, don't sleep on them. Yeah. I like an Argentin- Argentinian wine. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, the wine that I drink the most often, like the, I call it like my house wine that I just have all yeah. the time. Your house. Yeah. <laughs> just my my house wine is – it's a Grenache Syrah. Um, oh. The – the label it's like a really cute label as well which i think is why i bought it for the first time it's sure. les dauphins and it has like these cute little like french illustrations on it um and i just keep that around the house because it pairs really well with like most things that i cook um so then at work the other day my bosses were doing a tasting and they gave me a glass and it was like a hundred percent syrah and i was like ah oh, so smooth so like yeah. light and delicious <laughs> So yeah, I guess I'm a I guess I'm a Syrah girly, You're which Syrah I never knew. Now. Yeah, because I used to be such a Merlot girl, but not anymore. Really, I don't ever mm-hmm. buy Merlot anymore. 
it's pretty deep. It's pretty yeah. rich. Yeah. Um, giving me a little heartburn. And it can get really sweet. And I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. What were we talking about? <laughs> the movie. So Eve and Sarah actually went to Serendipity that evening where Eve is served a slice of cake with a little candle in it. And the waiter's like, it's on the house. And Sarah, like, I don't know if she told the waiter it was her birthday or if she just realized that as the cake is coming over, she's like, I'm an awful friend. And Eve lovingly tells her, you know, you will be if you sing. Relatable. I hate yeah. having happy birthday sung to me. <laughs> I know. It's like, what do you do? It's Ugh. so awkward. So Sarah thanks Eve for coming with her, and Eve tells her that fate is a wonderful thought. But if that's really true, what's the point of living or making decisions? Eve tells her the point is to make mistakes, like this trip, and if you're smart enough, you learn from your mistakes. And Sarah admits that she has to give it all up now, and Eve reminds her that she has a fiancé who loves her very, very much, and she's not giving up. She's growing up. They leave serendipity, and as they're heading out, Eve takes her change, putting the $5 bill <gasps> with a Jonathan's number on it in her wallet. Wow. Yeah. How serendipitous. Also, crazy that nobody took a singular bite of the free birthday cake. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. They didn't touch it because... <laughs> The reason I know is because I was watching this in the middle of the night last night. And I was on FaceTime with Matt um, as he's like falling asleep and they leave. And I was like, she didn't even touch her birthday cake. I said out loud to nobody. But Matt was yeah. like half asleep and he's like, she should have given it to you. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, she should have given it to you. <laughs> he's like eyes closed half asleep. Eyes closed, brain dead. He's like, my queen needs her cake. Yeah. <laughs> you ever have someone speak to you when you're actually like kind of asleep and you like respond with something that doesn't make mm. any sense? Yes, I do that all the time. Um, or I'll like start responding to something and then my brain will like have another thought. And as I'm speaking, I start talking about something else completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. No, sure. Yeah. And people are like, what? Did you say? And I was like, what What yeah. was I talking about? Yeah, same. Anyway, so we go back to the boys. They arrive at Serendipity just after Sarah and Eve have gotten into a cab and are driving away. Like, I'm shaking my fist right now. Paths literally crossing. Mm -hmm. They look at the place next door to Serendipity. It's no longer a roommate pairing service. It is now a bridal shop because times a change quick in New York City. Yes. So Dean goes into the shop. He, you know, bothers the sales lady to get the new address of the roommate service. But Jonathan just kind of like takes a moment and looks at this bridal shop. And he's having a bit of a thought journey. So Dean comes out with the address, but Jonathan is like, it's over. Like, we cannot keep doing this. And Dean's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I have the address. They close in an hour. Like, we can make it downtown. And 
Jonathan says, this is like a, I'm standing in front of a bridal shop. Like, I can't be doing this. It's not in the cards. Like, he's literally looking at a sign that says, bless the bride. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, the bridal shop, me never finding the book or the $5 bill. Like, it's all a sign. And Dean goes, how is the absence of something a sign? It is very arbitrary. Yes. But yeah, it's not an exact science, like she said. Yes. And Dean is like, no, it's not supposed to end this way. Like, we're supposed to pull the curtain back and meet the wizard and get to the end of the river and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But Jonathan is like, my wedding rehearsal starts in less than an hour. And I was like, what? Men have it so easy. They just get their little ducks in a row, Mm -hmm. no makeup, looking like shit, put -hmm. their suit on, Mm -hmm. and waltz out there. (sighs) Stress me out so much. I'm like, yeah. look at what you're wearing. Your wedding rehearsal is in less than an hour. But he's like, my wedding rehearsal is in less than an hour, and my bride is waiting for me. And Dean asks, if Sarah were here right now in front of you, what would she tell you to do? And he's like, she would tell me to get to the Waldorf because all the signs are pointing to me getting married. And Dean says, if he does this, he'll never find out who Sarah is. But Jonathan says, maybe I was never supposed to. Mm. In the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, Haley comes down the elevator and actually sees Eve. Turns out Eve was her RA in college. <gasps> How surprise. Like, relatable. <laughs> they meet each other and like introduce to Hallie's parents. And she's like, I'm getting married tomorrow in this hotel. Like, you should come and bring your partner to watch but sarah's like oh no 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 i i have to go upstairs and call my fiance who is a man and sarah gets into the elevator and as she's like leaving eve is like goodbye my sweet lesbian lover and (laughs) then walks off with hallie and she's like oh that's just a joke between us um but yeah it's a silly little scene oh yeah definitely had me giggle out loud like molly shannon you are an american treasure right love right exactly love her little comedic moments that she she gets in this Mm -hmm. so the ladies head off to the rehearsal meanwhile sarah goes to their room upstairs and who does she find laying down oh so dramatically outside her hotel room yeah so dramatic i'm like they've not been there for that long it's like you've been sitting there for three days waiting for her no but it's lars turns out (laughs) (laughs) it's lars (laughs) response turns out he uh well because she was like how did you know where i was staying and he's like i had a feeling and she's like really and he's like no i looked up the new york hotel guide and i went in reverse alphabetical order so he's like i just missed you so much and she sits with him and he's like you know i don't blame you for running away i was so preoccupied with all this stuff and i'm like she Mm -hmm. took this trip to get away from you and maybe if you would listen to her and actually given her the space that she needed you might have still been getting married yikes at the rehearsal jonathan is going through the motions as he's being told by the priest what will occur he's looking around and everyone is having these like ear-to-ear grins but it's 
it's very much like uh, shown as creepy and he is not feeling it whatsoever. And then as they finish up, they notice or Jonathan notices Eve in the back and Haley's like, oh, you know, that's my old friend from college. So they finish the rehearsal and Dean whisks Jonathan away for the bachelor party. But before he leaves, Hallie is like, oh, can I talk to you for a moment? And they also invite Eve to come back to the wedding tomorrow with her friend. You can't just invite someone last minute to your wedding. Like, there's table place settings and you've paid for a certain right? amount of meals. But I guess if someone um, doesn't show up, you could probably tweak it. I guess, yeah. So after Eve heads off for the night, Hallie sits down with Jonathan and she starts crying. And he's really confused as to like where this came from. And she says, it feels like you've been somewhere else the past few days. She says that she's always dreamed of this day, like ever since she was a little girl, of her dress and the music. But it feels like her fiance is off in Never Never Land. And Jonathan does admit to being out of it because he has been very distracted the past couple days. Yeah. But he says it's just normal guy stuff, you know, little cold feet. And that's like the last thing that anybody wants to hear right before their wedding, but sure. And Hallie says that there are hours from going down the aisle and he apologizes and she asks him to please just let go of whatever he's holding on to. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan tells her it already let go of him. Which isn't an active... No. It's a very passive way to say that you're over something. That's not a choice you made. Right. Yeah. Right. And she actually gives him a groom's gift, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, I didn't either. But he opens it up, and it's a book. It's Love in the Time of Cholera. And she says, you know, whenever we're in a bookstore, I always see you flipping through it. And I checked and you don't even have a copy. Mm. And he opens it up. And of course, it has Sarah's number inside. And I do think John Cusack plays this moment so beautifully. Like he tells us everything with his eyes. Like he starts to get teary eyed and looks at her and says, Mm -hmm. it's perfect. It's an excellent choice. And he's like so choked up and emotional. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really great moment for him. So after this, Jonathan gets into the cab with Dean and shows him the book with Sarah Thomas' number inside. He takes Dean's cell phone out of his jacket, and Dean dials up someone from the New York Times to ask for Sarah Thomas' current address. I'm like, do they just have everyone's address at the New York Times? Right. Like, that's not how it works. I don't know. But maybe it's just like in that day, everyone had a newspaper subscription. Mm. So I don't know. Anyways, meanwhile, Lars and Sarah are riding in a horse-drawn carriage in Central Park. It looks very romantic. But Lars gets a call from his agent and Sarah walks away. Well, first he like stands up in the fucking carriage and makes the driver stop because he can't hear. Yeah, I was like. You suck so bad. Mm -hmm. He's like, I get it. Like, I can't imagine being a musician. There's like a lot of plates to keep spinning. But also he just doesn't have the capacity to like be in this romantic relationship that Sarah needs. 
So she feels insanely dejected and decides to get off the carriage, walks down um, to, like, I guess, like the side of the road and sees the ice skating rink in the distance, the same one where she skated with Jonathan that fateful night. I will say while watching this at that moment when like pans out to reveal that they're like exactly at the skating rink, I did get yeah. like goosebumps. I was like, <gasps> I know it's God. so like, uh, so she walks down and sits on a bench later on. Lars joins her and he looks up at the sky and he's like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And Sarah looks at the constellation. It's Cassiopeia. <gasps> yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, look at the stars. They all have names, you know? And she looks at it. Like but he doesn't know the names. She pulls out her arm and then she starts crying and she's like, oh, it's Cassiopeia. <gasps> and then what does she do? I mean, we don't find this out right now, but she ends her relationship right then and there, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so meanwhile, what are Jonathan and Dean up to? They're on a goddamn plane going to yes, San Francisco. Are. Let us not forget this man is still slated to get married in the morning. And he's like, you know, with the time change, if our return flight is even 10 minutes late, I'm going to miss my own wedding. And Dean is like, man, yes, you're my he fucking. Is. He's like, you're my fucking hero, dude. You're making it happen. Jonathan's kind of confused why he's so like amped about this. And Dean actually reveals that his wife, Courtney, who he was like very lovey-dovey with the night before, mm -hmm. moved out. And Jonathan is shocked and he's like, yeah, you know, we didn't want to spoil the wedding and so we kept it to ourselves, but we've been fighting for a really long time and then we just, we let it slip away. Like it, it just died. And Jonathan asks what the cause of death was and Dean says, it wasn't enough of this, you know, like the romance, the rush, the, you know, mm. all the, the effort and intention that they're putting into this. And Dean tells him that the philosopher Ep Epictetus, is that right? I guess so. Yeah. I think a so. A philosopher <laughs> said, <laughs> if you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. And that's what Jonathan's done. That night, Jonathan and Dean arrive at Lars and Sarah's house. And Dean gets out of the car first. He sees who he thinks is Sarah and making out with a man. But it's actually Sarah's sister who looks very much like her. Um, I would even believe they just had Kate Beckinsale in the shot and pretended it was her sister because they look identical. Mm -hmm. Jonathan comes up and he tries to stop him from going inside. He tries to like drag him away. But eventually he does see through the window and also thinks it's Sarah. So they end up lying in the grass behind the bush that they've been peeking out of. <laughs> and Dean says Sarah said everything happens for a reason. And maybe they're laying here because he doesn't want to be somewhere else. So yeah. they crawl on all fours back to the car. I was like, wow, so wise, Dean. Yeah. Like maybe you're laying here because you don't want to be standing somewhere else. No wonder the Times hired you. Yeah. So then the next shot we see is like the exterior of an airplane and we hear the pilot being like, 
oh, we're still going to be grounded for a little while longer. We have some bad weather coming in from our destination. Like everybody sit tight and you're like, oh my God, he's going to miss his wedding. Switcheroo. It's Sarah on a plane Mm -hmm. from New York back to California. So she's on the phone on her cellular device with Eve and Eve is like, Oh, how's Lars? And Sarah says, I think he's going to be okay. And Eve says, and you're going to be okay too. So like obviously Sarah and Lars have broken up. Mm -hmm. A flight attendant then kind of like gives Sarah the eyes to get off her phone. And Sarah's like, okay, I have to go. Uh, I'll call you later. Have fun at the wedding. Bye. Because let us not forget, Eve is now last minute going to this wedding. Right. The flight attendant then comes over to offer her a headset. And Sarah pulls out her wallet to buy it. But that's when she realizes that she's mixed up her wallet with Eve's because the one that she has says Prado. (laughs) And the flight attendant is like, well, is there any money in it? And so she pulls out. Do you want the headset or not? Yeah. So she pulls out a five, hands it over. And then in slow motion, she like glances over at the $5 bill in the flight attendant's hand and sees Jonathan's name and number written on it. And so she snatches it out of the hand of her seat neighbor (laughs) and is like, oh my God, I have to go and runs off the plane. I'm like, ma'am, the doors are closed. Like they would not let you off that that plane. (laughs) Is that real? Can that happen? Well, this would have been shot before 9-11 so maybe on it yeah maybe i mean you used to be able to walk on the tarmac like yeah there were there you were could like bring someone all the way to the gate you know right right yeah very different so now we are in the back of a cab and sarah has called information for the address of jonathan traeger he's at 34 charles street sure so, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Why not? She takes the cab to his location, asks for Jonathan, and the guy outside is like, oh, are you late for the wedding, you know, at the Waldorf? And she asks if he's getting married, and they tell her he might be already. So she gets back into the cab and asks him to go as fast as possible to the Waldorf, and they end up getting stuck in traffic, and Sarah just has to get out of the cab and run to the hotel with her bags in tow. She's really about to pull a speak now at the wedding. Yeah. So she gets to the Waldorf. She runs through the lobby where she sees a sign for Jonathan and Hallie's wedding. She bursts into the event room and just yells, She bursts in. (laughs) She bursts in. Mm Mm-hmm. But there is no wedding to be seen. Only a janitor inside stacking the chairs. And she's like, is it over? And he's like, oh, it's over. And Sarah's like, fuck, damn it. And he's like, but don't worry. You'll get your present back. And she's like, what? And he's like, they always send the present back after they call off the wedding. And she's like, he called it off? Yeah. Oh, my God. And she starts crying. She's so happy. And then Kate Beckinsale does a beautiful job of this as well, where she just kind of like plays it off and she's like, oh, that's that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she like clutches the one cashmere glove. And then the the man stacking the chairs is like, are you friend of the bride? And turns around, she's gone. And he's like, she's gone. Already left. Or the groom. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jonathan is walking with Dean in the park, and he asks what kind of pep talk he wants. Inspirational. You know, there are more fish in the sea. When God shuts the door, he opens a window. And Jonathan asks him to tell him he did the right thing. But Dean says he doesn't have to tell him. He wrote it and gives him a piece of paper. He actually wrote Jonathan an obituary. It turns out he had writer's block writing his best man speech, and that is what ended up coming out. So Dean buys some roses, and Jonathan asks if he's going to see Courtney, and he tells him absolutely, and then posits that the Greeks didn't write obituaries. They only asked one question after a man died. Did he have passion? Mm. And Jonathan wishes Dean good luck with Courtney. So Jonathan walks through the street reading Dean's obituary. Jonathan Traeger, prominent television producer for ESPN, died last night from complications of losing his soulmate and his fiance. He was 35 years old and soft-spoken and obsessive. Traeger never looked the part of a hopeless romantic, but in the final days of his life, he revealed an unknown side of his psyche. This hidden quasi-Jungian persona surfaced during the Agatha Christie-like pursuit of his long-reputed soulmate, a woman who he only spent a few precious hours with. Sadly, the protracted search ended late Saturday night in complete and utter failure. Yet even in certain defeat, the courageous Traeger secretly clung to the belief that life is not merely a series of meaningless accidents or coincidences. Uh-uh. But rather, it is a tapestry of events that culminate in an exquisite, sublime plan. Asked about the loss of his dear friend, Dean Kansky, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author and executive <laughs> editor of the New York Times, described Jonathan as a changed man in the last few days of his life. Things were clearer for him, Kansky noted. Ultimately, Jonathan concluded that if we are to live life in harmony with the universe, we must all possess a powerful faith in what the ancients used to call fatum, what we currently refer to as destiny. And just as Jonathan finishes reading the letter, he ends up at the skating rink at Central Park. Back at the Waldorf, Eve asks Sarah what she's going to do now as she gets into a cab to go back to San Francisco. And Sarah tells her she's going to find him. And Eve advises against it. She tells her to stay put. She can feel it in the air. And Sarah tells Eve she's becoming her own worst nightmare. And before Eve pulls off in the cab, she tells Sarah to put on a jacket. It's freezing out here. But where's her jacket? Oh my God, it's on the <sighs> bench at the skating rink. And who finds it? Jonathan, of course. Ah. So he grabs this random jacket that he's found on a bench, which gross, but <laughs> luckily it's hers. <laughs> like that could be anybody's, but mm -hmm. he takes it with him into the rink. So as the clock tolls and Jonathan walks out onto the rink, it's not like a skating rink because it's supposed to be spring. Although it's supposed to be like very cold for spring. Yeah. Um, so it's actually like a roller rink kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. So he looks around and sits down in the middle of the rink and takes out the black cashmere glove. And of course, 
because it's this unseasonably cold day, it starts snowing. It's that one random day in spring where it snows. Yeah. And Jonathan lays down and laughs to himself. He stays there laying down when all of a sudden a glove starts flying through the air and lands on his chest. He catches it and realizes he has the two black cashmere gloves now. Mm -hmm. And so he slowly sits up and he turns around and sees Sarah standing at the entrance of the rink. She waves and she walks towards him and we see a single tear fall down Jonathan's cheek. They meet in the middle. They hold hands. They finally introduce themselves and then slowly lean in and finally kiss. Wow. Oh my God. Ah, it's so romantic. It is. It is. I really, I, I thought that it, it was such a beautiful moment and especially I'm glad that there's like almost no dialogue in it. Yes. Yes. I love the single tear that falls down his cheek because he, he makes it so real. Yeah. It really does not feel put on when he has these like very um, – because he's not a – he's not like a very outward like aud- audacious guy. It's very mm-hmm. inward and <sighs> feels very potent. Yeah. And then Kate Beckinsale has this like beautiful like twinkle in her eye. And I mean obviously yeah. she's an incredibly stunning woman. But like the she's way gorgeous. that her smile lights up her entire face, it's like – yeah oh my god like you're so beautiful i can't look at you (laughs) no absolutely and she also is like freezing her butt off Mm -hmm. in a a, such a chic like very j crew-esque button-down top Mm -hmm. and a pair of like slacks yeah and she just looks so good and i'm like are you kidding me right now? I'd be like... If I were that, I'd look like a slob. I'd look like a slob. I'd also be like a stout. Like, I'd be like, I'm so cold and like have a red face. Oh, my yeah. goodness. But then we get a final little scene back at Bloomingdale's where they first met. Jonathan and Sarah transform from kissing in this rink to kissing in Bloomingdale's. And Jonathan wishes her a happy anniversary. Oh, my God. I know. And she asks him when he became so unabashedly romantic. And he tells her he thinks it's good luck to return here each year to the scene of the crime. And they pour champagne into paper cups and cheers. That's so cute. I know. (laughs) The champagne. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I know. It's so sweet. In front of the gloves, nonetheless. Yeah. And Mr. Levy pops up and tells them no drinks on the premises. And Jonathan's like, don't you remember me? Like our hunt in Queens. And he's like, oh, Miss Carbon Copy. (laughs) Well, make some room for paying customers. And Jonathan's like, oh, we've actually come here to buy cashmere gloves. Ding. Ring a ding ding. Closing (laughs) bell. And Levi's like, "Um, why don't you come back during store hours? As they... The camera's panning out. We're about to end the film. Like, Sarah tries to get on the other side of the counter, and he's like, please remain on the other side. This is for employees only. Cute. Yes. 
Well, that's serendipity. Um, what are your thoughts, first time viewer? I really enjoyed it. It was probably, I don't want to use the word favorite. It's so finite, but it's definitely my top rom coms. Wow. I just really liked the, I really liked the like faded mm-hmm. um, search and like, star-crossed yeah. lover type of thing but I think I really enjoyed it because I found them to be incredibly charming people like I was mm-hmm. rooting for each of them um yeah I was just like what's gonna happen next like the whole movie and it's very fast-paced yeah they don't really have a lot of dead space in it at all even the comedic moments feel very like mm-hmm. um very snappy so I really enjoyed it I was enthralled the entire time and it's a tight 90. Love. We love a tight 90. Love. Yeah. This uh, yeah, this movie, I know, like, it didn't get the best reviews. And, like, I was even looking at some letterbox reviews and people were like, this movie is so bad. Like, it's so infuriating to watch. So I understand why some people would be like, this is a really frustrating movie to watch because there are so many, like, missed moments. But I really love movies. Like, that, that's why I love, love Rosie so much, right? Like, yeah. I love movies that have that kind of pace to them. Because it keeps you on your toes and you're just like, you know that they're going to get together because it's a romantic comedy. But it's just like you're enjoying the journey and the mishaps in the journey. And yeah, I think that Kate Beckinsale and John Cusack both did a really great job and were so endearing. Um, Especially like the way Mm -hmm. that John Cusack managed to soften some of those like more off-putting, harder edges to Jonathan. Like with those little details like apologizing for kicking the snow and stuff like that. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. I really loved the scenes with uh, John Cusack and Jeremy Piven. I thought that they were so great. I mean, obviously, they're besties in real life, so that chemistry is going to bleed through. But yeah, I thought that they were great. And Molly Shannon, wonderful as always. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I definitely enjoy it. It's, again, not like my favorite rom-com of all time, but definitely one that I like to watch around the Christmas season, even though like it mostly doesn't take place during Christmas, but that opening sequence is so iconic. Right. And like, it's just late 90s, early 2000s Christmas rom-com goodness, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like a sweet treat in my mouth. The magic of New York City. And you hear like Bing <laughs> Crosby singing in the background and we're skating in Central Park. Like those are such mm-hmm. magical moments. So... Yeah, I think it's really enjoyable. I think it's a great one to throw on. Like maybe when it's snowing outside, curl up with like a a cup of hot cocoa, watch a little serendipity. Absolutely. And I just saw that Roger Ebert gave it a one and a half out of four oh my stars. God. I'm like, of course you did. <laughs> but I think to your point of um the like misconnections and the the plot of the movie isn't some magical like new story that's never been heard before like that's yeah. for sure but I think the writing is actually very good mm-hmm. the comedy is really I like the comedic moments yeah um especially like Eugene Levy and Molly Shannon yeah like those are peak peak 2001 uh, players yeah and then the romance between Kate Beckinsale and Jonathan, no, and John Cusack. <laughs> um, I think that they really 
made the script special. Because if it was two people with any lesser like chemistry or just lesser acting chops, like I don't think it would have landed as well. And that's the thing is that they do have so much chemistry and made me think about, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see Your Place or Mine, the Reese Witherspoon, Ashton Kutcher rom-com that came out like last year? No, I didn't. That one is similar in the sense where the two main characters are not like in the same place for the majority of the movie. Like they only have a scene actually physically together at the end of the movie. Um, and in this one, obviously, they they only have a scene at the beginning and at the end where they're actually like our two main characters are in the same room. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like their chemistry, like John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale's chemistry is so palpable and electric from the jump that like you feel invested in their relationship. Whereas in the Ashton Kutcher, Reese Witherspoon movie, the chemistry was not there like at yeah. all. So it was really hard to get invested in it because all they did to really like, at least in my experience of watching that movie, like the only way to feel invested in them is just them saying over and over again, like we've been best friends for this many years. And we see them like talk on the phone a little bit, but like you don't get that spark at all. So then in the end when, spoiler alert, they do get together, you're just kind of like, okay like i'm not really invested in this like i don't care yeah yeah and like the chemistry was just not there whereas in this one i thought it was like very very sweet chemistry that they had together they had like a very fun little witty banter going on so they felt really evenly matched as well which i liked so yeah i just thought it was a really nice balance of like witty humor and then just like very very earnest sweet moments like when she starts tearing up looking at the Cassiopeia and like the the constellation on her arm, that was such a beautiful moment that I guess could be read as cheesy, but to me it felt very heartfelt. So, yeah, I'm pro serendipity. Yeah, I definitely agree because if you had cornier or like lesser uh, paths of them crossing, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have as much potency. But the, like, callbacks and the, like, mm-hmm. romantic aspects of it and, like, him going to the leasing office and being like, this is a bridal shop. I don't know. It it resonated for me. But with that being said, uh, what would you like to rate this bad boy? Hmm. I don't know. I'll say a seven and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to go, like, seven, seven and a half. I think it's, like, a really great way to kick off the season as well. So... Definitely add it to your rotation this year. Yeah, I think it's a good one to kick it off on. And we have a pretty good lineup this month. Yeah, I'm excited to to share what we have in store. We have actually a lot of romance this Y2 Christmas season, which I'm excited about because I feel like last year we didn't, ha- we didn't have as much romance. So get ready for a romantic time this month. Yeah, we're both in relationships. Life imitates art. Yeah, art imitates life. (laughs) And if you're hungering for more content before Mm -hmm. the episodes come out, you can always go to the Instagram. Um, We have all screenshots from the movie. You'll see what movies are coming up. We have little fun stories. TikTok. I should tell you the Mm -hmm. handles. On Instagram, <laughs> it's Movies That Raised Us. On TikTok, it's Movies That Raised Us Pod. 
Yes, you can also follow us on Twitter at mtru underscore pod. You can always send us a good old-fashioned email at moviesthatraisedus at gmail.com. We also want to take a moment to say thank you to everybody who tagged us in their Spotify wrapped this year. That was so, so fun for us to see. Like, it truly means the world to us that we have so much support. And, like, seeing us being people's number one podcast is, like, truly so incredible and humbling and mind-blowing. So thank you so much for your support. We love you all so much, and we just look forward to bringing you even more amazing content next year. Yeah, the only thing that makes this podcast worth doing is like the fact that people enjoy it so much, and that's what makes us inspired to do it, Um, even when we're tired or like (laughs) exhausted (laughs) or like not – I don't know, having a bad day, but it always makes it worth it to see people enjoying it. And so Mm -hmm. thank you so much. And with that being said, I'm Mo. And I'm Christina. And our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.